Hello, welcome to the second episode of Things I Find Cool, asterisks that you might find cool too. I am your host, Joseph Lemieux, and since this is still a one-person show, I take care of all the other stuff too. This podcast is a way for me to catalog the many, many things I find cool. I learned a lot putting the first episode together. It was equal parts fun and terrifying. Immediately after hitting publish, I was inspired by something cool, so sit back, relax, and you might find it cool too. Today's episode is about the West Edmonton Mall. Over the course of the next 30 minutes, I will dive into the history of the capitalistic fever dreamland in a city that is known for its cold winters and Wayne Gretzky. As a person who was born in northern Alberta in 1990, going to the West Edmonton Mall, or West Ed, was a three and a half hour pilgrimage to a magical place where you can buy a wax cast sculpture of your own hand, toys that only work when operated by the guy selling them, and eat a beaver tail on a replica of Christopher Columbus's Santa Maria. Uh, yeah. This is how the Edmonton Tourism Board describes it. We camp with bison, party under the aurora, and surf on the prairies. We've always done things a little differently, and we welcome you to be a part of it. Edmonton is a vibrant, urban center in the heart of the wilderness, the largest northernmost metropolis and the capital of Alberta, Canada. Experience what 18 hours of sunlight a day feels like in the summer, or how the first snowfall transforms the river valley in the winter. No matter the season, Edmonton is made for exploring. If you're asking me, the season does matter. If this podcast gives you the burning desire to experience some of what you are going to hear yourself, I highly recommend visiting late spring or all summer. It's beautiful. The city of Edmonton saw a lot of money coming in the early 80s. You know you are in Edmonton when you see a burning smokestack. Yay! The city is an industrial hub for a lot of energy products. This meant that the population was growing and had more and more disposable income. This created an opportunity for rapid growth. Enter Triple Five Group. The owners of the Triple Five Group had made a lot of money profiting from land speculation outside of Edmonton. Their business plan was to buy out the land for more than the government was willing to offer the landowners. This land was not developable, but would eventually be needed for transportation and service corridors. Once they acquired a bunch of land around the outskirts, they sat on it until 1979 and then sold it back to the government with a dramatically raised price. They used a lot of this money to fund their first retail project, the West Edmonton Mall. I can't comment on Triple Five Group without mentioning that the father company of Triple Five has been accused of bribery on many occasions. One account from city alderman Alex Fallow said he was dumbfounded when he was offered $40,000 by Mr. Germesian, son of the founder of Germes Developments, now Triple Five Group. In a 24th July 1974 article in the Calgary Herald, Alex Fallow said he started by saying how much he appreciated what I had done by voting to allow the rezoning. He said he had made a lot of money on it, and I said I was aware. He told me he wanted to give me a gift. He said he wanted to give me $40,000. $20,000 was in his coat pocket. Alex declined the money. The representatives for Germaz Developments turned the accusations around on Alex, saying he was pressuring them and they didn't know what to do. I can't comment on what I think happened. All I know is a bribery and unusually quick decision allegations have followed Triple Five for a long time. 
In August 1998, Alberta Treasury Branch filed a $450 million lawsuit against Triple Five. The bank alleged that the refinancing loan they secured was imprudent and commercially unreasonable, and it was attempting to seize them all. The Edmonton-based bank alleged that the refinancing was obtained by paying bribes and secret commissions to former bank employee Elmore Leahy. The mall and Mr. Leahy have denied the allegations and countersued. They ended up settling out of court with ATB saying they couldn't reveal the settlement, but it would be reflected in their financial statements. The settlement was favorable to ATB. I will let you infer your own conclusions. Let's talk phase one. Phase one of the project was initially set to cost $150 million. The original construction was split into two phases, but ended up being comprised of four phases. Phase one began development in 1974 and was completed in 1981. The grand opening was September 15th of that same year. It didn't open as the super mall we know today. It was the largest mall in Canada, but many of the features that made it unique came in the phases that would precede phase one. The original mall was laid out over 62 acres. The three flagship tenants were the Bay, Hudson's Bay Company, Eaton's, and Sears, with over 200 other stores and services. I believe Eaton's and Sears are no longer around today, but they were just big box department stores. Side note, one of the prizes available during the grand opening of the West Edmonton Mall was a 45-inch TV. In 1981, a 45-inch TV would have weighed in at several hundred pounds. Give me a moment. Back in my day, moving the TV was a three, four-person job, not counting the cord spotter. People got hurt back then. All right, sorry about that. On to phase two. Phase two began construction basically as soon as phase one was officially opened. Over the course of the next two years, the West Edmonton Mall would see the addition of Fantasyland, at the time the largest indoor amusement park currently second to Ferrari World, as well as Ice Palace, an NHL-sized ice hockey rink. Apparently, the Edmonton Oilers, including hockey legend Wayne Gretzky, would sometimes practice here. These changes are considered by many to be the birth of the Super Mall. Once completed, the phase saw the addition of 240 additional stores, bringing the total stores and services to 460. The footage was increased from 1,140,500 square feet to 2,170,300 square feet. The footprint of the mall went up from 64 acres to 80 acres. All this talk of square footage and acres, let's have some fun. When Fantasyland, now Galaxyland, but we'll get into that later, first opened its doors in June of 1983, it features these rides. Flight to Equestria, aka the Balloon Ferris Wheel. A carousel, which was, as you know, a carousel. Aero Squadron, which was planes that move up and down while the whole thing rotated in the air. Swing of the Century, which was a giant swing set that twirled in the air and I believe also pivoted. Uh, bumper cars. And lastly, the Flying Galleon we all know and love. Uh, it was a giant ship, much like the Santa Maria, that swung around a central axis and sometimes did a full loop. If Phase 2 was the birth of the Supermall, Phase 3 would be its yayo-fueled party years. Phase 1 was completed in 1981. Phase 2 in 1983, and would you believe me if I said that Phase 3 was completed in 1985? If your answer was yes, good, 
you're right to believe me. If not, <clears throat> two years after the completion of Phase 2, Phase 3 would open. What I find truly amazing is how much work they managed to do in those two years. The square footage of the mall would more than double up to 5 million square feet. This expansion saw the number of stores rise from 460 to 827. It also added the following attractions. The World Water Park is the fourth largest indoor water park in the world and hosts the world's largest indoor wave pool. It features 17 water slides as well as a bungee jumping tower. Going to the water park at West End was usually part of the big yearly field trip with the school. I have a distinct memory of losing my locker key slash what locker I was even using in a sea of thousands of identical lockers. Soaking wet. Good times. Moving on. Pebble Beach Golf Course, which is now Professor Wem's Adventure Golf. It was modeled after its original namesake, apart from real sand. It was refurbished in the mid-90s, where it would go on to be the whimsical theme it still carries to this day. This mini-golf course is way funner than a course in the middle of a mall has any right to be. I only remember the Professor Wem-themed course. It was a great way to take a break from never-ending beeps of your debit card depleting your account. Deep Sea Adventure. This is currently the world's largest indoor lake. It's about 5 meters deep. I wasn't able to find how many gallons of water it contains, but enough to house a dolphin lagoon, four fully seaworthy submarines, a full-scale model of the Santa Maria, and several tanks full of tropical fish. These submarine rides will take you through a tour of real and artificial features. There are real fish with real sharks, fake props, and views into the dolphin tanks. These submarines would be the first recreational submarines used in the world. These submarines had actually been sea-tested off the coast of Vancouver, Canada. Eventually, low ridership and the cost of maintaining the submarines led to their closure in 2005. They were placed throughout the mall as decorations until the submarines were put up for sale. With a price tag of $900,000, they proved much too expensive and instead were dismantled and removed over the course of 31 days in 2012. Part of the lake has since been covered to make more room for undoubtedly the worst part of going to any mall, which is the kiosk people. There's no better way to trigger my anxiety than walking through a minefield of people telling me I have bags under my eyes pitching me their creams and tonics. In this part, I'm going to get into the Mindbender roller coaster, but as some of you may already know, this part doesn't have a happy ending. The Mindbender was created by German coaster manufacturer Schwarzkopf Industries at a cost of $6 million. It opened in December 1985 in Fantasyland, now Galaxyland. This roller coaster was 145 feet tall, making it the tallest indoor coaster in the world. This three-looped behemoth had a 127-foot drop and a total capacity of 16 people. This brings me to the Mindbender accident. June 4, 1986. Less than a year after opening, a ride operator noted a strange noise coming from the coaster. Maintenance teams were called and ran the trains empty and didn't hear a noise. It was allowed to reopen. The ride operators heard the noise again and called maintenance again for specifically the yellow train. Once again, they ran the yellow train empty and didn't hear a noise. The ride operators were once again instructed to reopen the ride. Later that day, while traveling over 100 kilometers an hour, the last car of the yellow train derailed before entering the third loop. The axle on the four cars had been sheared off. It was pulled along by the other three cars while it flailed violently. 
This caused car four to hit the track again, which tore out the bottom of the train, causing the lap bars to fail. The four occupants of car four were ejected. As the coaster entered the final third loop at a much lower speed, it made it halfway up before rolling backwards. As the coaster rolled backwards, car four got wedged against a concrete pillar, causing the other three cars to come to a stop. The four passengers of car four had been ejected towards the floor from 25 feet up at a speed of nearly 50 kilometers an hour. Of the four ejected, only one survived. Tony Mandrusiak, Cindy Sims, and David Sager lost their lives that day. The only survivor of car four is named Rod Chaco. He was seriously injured but would survive. Rod Chaco has been fighting for a long time to get a plaque and memorial erected in the mall. Today he has not been successful and as the mall loses more and more of its identity, I am doubtful Rod will ever get his wish. The factors contributing to the incident have been reported to be Schwarzkopf was bankrupt during the ride delivery, quality control problems, and improperly translated maintenance info. Four hex bolts were loose releasing the cap plate which is used to join cars to the vertical axle. This caused it to jump off the track and sheared off both the axle and the floor of the coaster. The accident was ultimately caused by unsatisfactory maintenance and design flaws. The other two Phase 3 additions were Europa Boulevard, which is supposed to be a simulated Parisian street, and Bourbon Street, which is where you could find restaurants and nightlife. Most notably, there was what had to be the world's most awkward hooters. Nothing says family day trip to the mall like knowing your dad is fully torqued at the food court. Aside from hooters, Bourbon Street had an awesome end to some nightmare-inducing jester statue. This was a giant sculpture of four jester heads brightly airbrushed and hugging the district. I only remember Bourbon Street with the Mardi Gras theme, which was installed in 1995. Unfortunately, this Mardi Gras theme, like a lot of the other things that made the Weston Mental Mall unique, was removed. This space now looks much more like a generic mall restaurant area. The last Phase 3 edition that I want to cover is Open Sea, which was a bronze sculpture of an Atlantic right whale. This sculpture was placed in the center walkway in a shallow wishing pool. What made this sculpture unique is that it was interactive. You could step into the mouth of the whale. I remember a red light shining in there too. This whale sculpture was one of the highlights of the mall. It was the stage where yearly group photos were taken, where first kisses were had, the secluded darkness to welcome respite from the sea of humans outside. The sculptor, Robin Bell, used real right whale bones for reference. It was moved at the request of Victoria and her secrets and was moved to Phase 1. The Fantasyland Hotel in the West Menton Mall opened October 1st, 1986. This unique hotel had 360 themed rooms, all with large jacuzzis. There were Roman-themed rooms with marble sculptures, a royal-themed room, and even a Polynesian theme with catamaran beds and a volcano jacuzzi. Here's an audio clip I pulled from some CBC archival footage from when the hotel first opened. Maybe I should be carrying it across, across the yes. threshold. Never. <laughs> Open the door. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's starting to have tell you this Look at this. Ow. Why would we want to come here? Uh, just for the fun of it. It's just going to be a really good time. It's, it's uh, something brand new. Sure, we live right across the street. I just thought it was going to be a neat idea. I guess that was, you know, was a good idea at the time. Um, and we have some friends, so we thought it would just kind of be a nice night out. And as if there was any doubt, looking around, your favorite part of this room. The jacuzzi. 
All the rooms have jacuzzis, all 360 of them. To the beach. Kelly McLugan, CBC News, at the Fantasyland Hotel in Edmonton. Isn't that neat? Moving on to the fourth and final phase of expansion. Phase four was the first expansion that didn't add to the mall's already gargantuan footprint. That isn't to say that there wasn't any square footage added as they built the mall up in order to build one of the most magical theaters I've had a chance to visit. This Silver City theater had flying machines, a giant King Kong statue, Batman riding a Batboard, Yoda, and F-15s from Top Gun. The moment you made your way up the escalator, you were greeted by an animatronic fire-breathing dragon. It was enormous, and the head would move back and forth. This animatronic beast named Excalibur would put on an hourly show where fantasy music would play, and Excalibur would breathe out 15-foot fireballs of natural gas. For those of you wondering, that's thousands and thousands of dollars of natural gas per day. The IMAX screen was enormous with an amazing sound. I was six years old the first time I saw a movie at the IMAX in West End. Cosmic Voyage, narrated by Morgan Freeman. Highly recommend it. A two-floor HMV and chapters also moved into the space next to the Santa Maria where the bay used to be. Let's talk Galaxyland. The amusement park named Fantasyland was renamed, rebranded following a lawsuit from Disney. Who has operated an attraction called Fantasyland since 1952? The court ruled in Disney's favor and a competition would be held for the new name. Galaxyland was selected and Cosmo the Martian would become the mascot for the park. Some of the rides were remodeled with the cartoony Galaxyland theme. Here are some honorable mention attractions that I remember. Penguins cruising around the mall with their handlers in tow. Bungee jumping tower in the water park. The Wild West indoor shooting range where you could shoot a desert eagle regardless of experience. And there was also bungee trampolines. Which brings me to the final chapter of this story. Pladium. What's Pladium? According to Pladium Edmonton's playbook, it's an energized environment where you are free to escape everyday life and live out your ultimate fantasies. At Pladium, you can transform your dreams into reality. It's also a giant arcade, 37,000 square feet. One of the unique things about it was that you didn't use tokens. Instead, they had a card system that you could either purchase individual credits or you could buy time. To go on an attraction, you simply swiped your card. The arcade itself was split into four zones and boasted 150 state-of-the-art attractions. On the ground floor, you found Kids' Corner, which was a family-friendly game section. Speed Zone for most of your motorsport-themed arcade games. Target Zone for all your light gun-based games, think Time Crisis 2. And most important, Sports Zone. This featured one of the keystones of the arcade, Virtual IndyCar Racing. This was an IndyCar racing simulator manufactured by Sega. It cost $1.2 million and up to 8 players could race against each other at the same time. I remember a convincing monster truck simulator that you actually climbed up into. It was called Maxzilla, and I'm pretty sure you had to wait over an hour. I only got a chance to do it once. There was also a contact zone for the fighting game enthusiasts out there, and music zone for games like Dance Dance Revolution, an extreme zone for outdoor sport enthusiasts. Extreme zone had skateboard simulators, a VR parachute simulators, as well as downhill mountain biking, just to name a few. 
Pladium was a big hit, but unfortunately when the mall's lease was up for renewal in 2004, the price had gone up and it didn't make financial sense anymore. The last time I went to the West Edmonton Mall was in December 2010. I stayed at the Fantasyland Hotel. I enjoyed the wave pool at the water park. I conquered my extreme fear of heights at Galaxyland. I scored 72 on Professor Webb's Adventure Golf. I shared a kiss in the whale, although not my first. I threw a coin off the Santa Maria and finished out the trip with Tron Legacy at the IMAX. This is how I want to remember it. The West Edmonton Mall is a lot of things to a lot of people. I didn't think a mall could ever bring me to tears, but here we are. Some of the best memories I have are me, my mom, my dad, and my sister jumping in the Ford Explorer. Us against the world. The first stop on the way out of Cold Lake, McDonald's for McMuffins, every time. Thank you for taking this trip down memory lane with me. I have to thank Mamai Lemire for remembering what movie we saw at the IMAX, but also what we were doing at Edmonton that day. My parents had made the three and a half hour special trip with me to buy me, you guessed it, my first lava lamp. Merci Mama. We are at the end of our journey. Thank you for listening along with me. I hope that you found it cool too. I would also like to thank the following resources. BestAdmontonMall.com Please check out this website. I learned a ton and their photos and videos are amazing. Uh, ShoppingMomMuseum.blogspot.com CBC News with Kelly McLuhan The Edmonton Journal Archives and the YouTube channel Coaster College for some of the mind-bender info. Thank you for tuning in. New episode every two weeks on Fridays. The next one will be on February 3rd. You can reach me at thingsifindcoolpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or feedback, please let me know. I appreciate you, and don't stop asking why. See you next time. There's no fact this time, so for real, bye.